0: welcome once again to proclaiming the one majoring in the minors pastor Clint Poppy pastor Adam Oline vicar Thomas Goodroad we serve the saints at good shepherd lutheran church in lincoln nebraska today on our majoring in the minors program we're going to be looking at reformation day a unique Lutheran Minor Festival, we want to talk about that in uh, some detail, and we're going to be examining the alternate gospel reading for Reformation Day, Matthew 11, 12-19, Revelation 14, 6-7, the standard one-year series Reformation first reading, and then the Great Epistle, Romans 3, 19-28. With our Proclaiming the One program, we primarily, in uh, preparing and getting ready for the upcoming worship, we uh, look in great detail at the Bible readings uh, with our majoring in the minors uh, version of Proclaiming the One. We take a look at minor festivals, occasions, and feast days in the church. We've done several programs on Reformation Day before because we always celebrate it on a Sunday. And uh, to begin our majoring in the minors aspect of Reformation Day, we want to talk about why Reformation Day is actually celebrated uh, primarily in the Lutheran Church. Is it worthy of celebration as a minor festival in the church? Is this uh, something that should actually trump the uh, regular appointed pericopes for the day? Uh, Usually it's around Trinity 22, 23, 24, just depending on how the church year falls. I want to read first from the uh, Church Year Guide by Paul Bosch and what he has to say about Reformation Day. He says, get a kick out of this, on Halloween of 1517. I thought that was interesting that he <laughs> uh, he uh, mentioned Halloween. Uh, I'm Mar- sure he
1: means All Hallows' Eve, which would be maybe closer to what they were thinking.
0: Yeah. Uh, knowing that the next day was a day day of obligation, All Saints Day, November 1st. um, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, announcing his willingness to debate other scholars on the topic of indulgences. In this act that lit the spark that became the conflagration known to history as the Reformation, Uh, the October 31 calendar observance is peculiarly Lutheran. The Reformation also might be honored on the commemoration of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, 1530, on June 25. And you, I've made that no secret. That's my preference. Uh, that's To me, that's uh, the true Reformation Day. And then uh, Bosch continues. Reformation Day is increasingly popular with non-Lutheran Protestants. The day has become a focus for ecumenical dialogue and a time to re-examine Great Reformation themes of grace and justification. Great themes of the Reformer, today as widely accepted by Catholics and Protestants, may be emphasized. The doctrine of justification by grace through faith, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, and the doctrine of supremacy of scripture as rule and norm for faith. Red is the color of the day, the red of fire and life and blood. That's Bosch, page 118 and 119 in his church year guide. Pastor, uh, your reactions, uh, aside from the Halloween uh, mention, your reactions uh, to the things that Bosch wrote.
1: I think what he's saying is uh, really important. Uh, I'm afraid that in our modern day and age, uh, when Reformation Day comes, It kind of turns into a Luther fest or a German fest in a certain amount of ways where we talk about what a great guy Luther was, and that's really not what our focus ought to be. The entire point of the Reformation is the gospel, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel, the returning of the Scripture as the ultimate authority um, in the church. Uh, And, of course, when we say Scripture, the Word of God, we mean also Jesus, who is uh, the Scripture made flesh the Word made flesh. And so um, when we're talking about theology uh, for Reformation Day, it needs to be justification by faith through grace. It needs to be um, the doctrine of Scripture. It needs to be these theological things that are our focus rather than man worship uh, of Martin Luther.
0: I I think that's uh, important. uh, The fact that uh, there are many Uh, Protestant churches that uh, celebrate Reformation in a different way they'll say uh, nice things about Luther but you know Luther just didn't go far enough and they use uh, Luther as a springboard to whatever teaching they want to have and to try to fix Lutheranism or uh, the doctrine and theology of uh, Martin Luther and so that always makes me a little bit nervous uh, to see this as an ecumenical festival and uh, to maybe ignore the differences that we have with other churches Um, that makes me a little bit nervous too and uh, when we think about true Lutheranism and especially the Augsburg Confession this was an ecumenical document not to say that differences don't matter, but to say, this is the truth. We invite you to examine the truth and to come to us. And I think that's, uh, to me, those are, those are some things that sometimes get lost in the shuffle. Uh, his historical comments there are accurate, and yet sometimes uh, you go to church on Reformation Day and the only thing you hear from the pulpit is a history lesson. And that is uh, not being true, as you so clearly stated before. That is not being true to the very nature of what the Reformation is. I've got one more little tidbit, and this is from the uh, LBW Manual on the Liturgy. We've quoted from this many times before, pages uh, 39 and 40. This is the anniversary of Luther's posting his 95 theses concerning the sale of indulgences. In the 16th century various dates were suggested in various places for an annual commemoration of the reform of the church. The 30 Years War disrupted these observances and provoked anti-Roman sentiment. In 1667, Elector John George II of Saxony reestablished the festival and appointed it for October 31. So there is some history to this, 1667. The celebration of the day spread among Lutherans, but the observance is not widely kept by Protestant Christians, nor is it universal among world Lutherans. It is the only day on the calendar particular to the Lutheran Church. Your comments.
1: I, I think that the this conflict between Roman Catholics and Lutherans is really a a terrible part of the History as well in the sense that lots of times too, I think, in our modern day, uh, it becomes Catholic bashing day in the church. And again, that's not the point. It's also then about the gospel. It needs to be about the gospel, the truth. Um, And so it's fine to talk about places where there are error or whatnot, but we need to focus on the truth. And so, you know, he talked about uh, Elector George reinstating the date in uh, 1687. This, This is really important because 1617 is the 100th anniversary of the Reformation. And 1618 begins the Thirty Years' War, and so uh, that just tells you the relationship between Lutherans and Catholics. And I think the positive thing that comes out of the Thirty Years' War is, of course, it moves us into our modern system of nation-states, which kind of calms some of the uh, violence and disagreement between Lutherans and Catholics. Um, Finally here, a couple hundred years later, we're a little bit more calm with each other, although... We still hold up the truth, our confession of faith. Scripture teaches us about Jesus. Faith alone
0: uh, is
1: our salvation through Christ alone, all these things. One of the things
0: that I was surprised that neither one of these sources mentioned was the uh, faithful Lutheran pastor in Germany by the name of Klaus Harms. And uh, no discussion of the celebration of the Reformation on October 31st would be complete without the mention of Klaus Harms. Klaus Harms was a parish pastor in Germany. Klaus Harms um, was a confessional Lutheran pastor who was uh, trying to be truly Lutheran in the midst of pietism that had pretty much swallowed up the Lutheran church. And so Klaus Harms, for the 300th anniversary of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses in 1817 promoted a uh, Reformation celebration and uh, a thorough examination of, as you mentioned before, the theology of Luther and the theology of the Reformation. And it was Klaus Harms in 1817 that really sparked the confessional renewal of the Lutheran Church in Germany and set the stages for the emigration of many, many Lutherans uh, about 20 years later to the United States and ultimately the formation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So uh, I have no problem with uh, October 31st being a special celebration as long as we focus on theology and God's word. But I really think we need to appreciate this history and use this as a confessional revival springboard for pastors, for lay people, for our congregations, to be hungry for the word and to be desirous of actually studying and putting into practice what true Lutheranism is. What do you think about that, Pastor?
1: I I think that's exactly the truth, and that's what the focus of the day ought to be, at least in the worship part. It doesn't mean that you can't have some fun things that you do. You should uh, celebrate uh, your... Uh, the social aspects of being a member of a congregation. But uh, for the worship service, our focus needs to be entirely on our theology and why we
0: are who we are. To uh, remember and celebrate a little bit of German culture and German heritage, uh, bratwurst and sauerkraut and German chocolate cake and apple strudel uh, and some of those things, uh, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, that's that's the frosting on the cake. The cake has to be justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the heart, core, soul, and center of Lutheranism. It is Jesus dead and risen for you in word and sacrament. And anything other than that is not being true to the Reformation. And I, I would say quite frankly, uh, mocks what uh, any minor festival celebration of the Reformation is all about. We need to remember, this is a minor festival in the church year. Um, we don't treat it that way very often, but it is a minor festival. A minor festival worth celebrating? Absolutely. But a minor festival nonetheless. Pastor, I'll give you the last uh, words here before we take our uh, first break.
1: Yeah, uh, Martin Luther cannot supplant Jesus on this date, and that's really important. Uh, Maybe we'll close with this quote from Martin Luther from 1527 in a letter written to Nicholas von Amsdorf about how he celebrated and we can take after him. He says, Ten years after the indulgences have been destroyed, in memory of this, we both drink and are comforted at this
0: hour. Good quote. Great way to uh, end our first segment. When we come back, we're going to look at the Gospel reading. Matthew 11, 12 to 19. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
2: You are listening to lp 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lord, keep us
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are parking the car at October 31st, Reformation Day. We uh, spent our entire first segment talking about the history surrounding this day and uh, talking about what this day needs to be about, and it needs to be about the Word of God. There are generally two gospel readings for Reformation Day, the uh traditional, standard gospel reading, uh, uh, John 8, 32 to 38, and uh, the alternate reading. And uh, there's some history behind this as well that we're not going to get into. One that uh, I I used to just shudder every time this came up in our readings. But the more that I've heard it, the more that I've had an opportunity (coughs) to uh, examine it and preach on it, the more that I have loved this as a gospel reading for Reformation Day. Matthew 11, verses 12 to 19. Vicar? Jesus said, From the days of
3: John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what should I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners
0: yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's the uh, conclusion to uh, this amazing little simile, parable, whatever you want to call it with regard to Jesus. Um, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What is this violence that Jesus is uh, talking about and referring to? Pastor, is he is he speaking in metaphorical terms here? Um, well, that's,
1: that's a really good question, and it's a very difficult one to answer because this is actually one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, Greek passage in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Um, and the reason this is the case is because of the way that it's written. It could be in the middle voice, and it could be in the... Um, uh, active voice, and there's a question about this, and and there's not really a very good answer, but I think if we look at it as a whole, you can kind of start to get an idea of what's being talked about. It's talking about um, the kingdom of heaven being persecuted, people, and even if you translate. Um, the violent take it by force, I think a better way would be take it away or push it away by force. And this is the idea that there are people in the world who believe that by persecution uh, they can eliminate God's kingdom, uh, and go back to our catechism answer, you know, the kingdom of God is where God's word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, and we lead Christian lives according to that word, Um, that that by persecution that kingdom can be pushed out of this world or destroyed or corrupted uh, or changed. And I think then that this is a really good idea for us to consider during Reformation because in some sense that's what happened during the Reformation. Um, You know, after Luther dies, Charles V comes in um, with his army and kind of almost pushes it away. We have 100 years later, the Thirty Years' War. Uh, We have before this the uh, Muslim Turks in 1453 um, invade and conquer the city of Constantinople and turn the uh, uh, Hagia Sophia into a mosque. Before that, we have places like Egypt used to be Christian, Libya used to be Christian, Iraq used to be Christian, and uh, through power of arms and force, uh, the Christian church has been pushed out of there. And so I think this is the idea of what uh, Jesus is talking about. Looking ahead, he knows these are the things that are going to happen.
0: When, uh, when people wonder about the identity of John the Baptist, you know, some people say, "Well, is he really, you know, like the fulfillment of Malachi that says, you know, before the Savior comes, uh, Elijah is going to come back again?" Uh, could we have a more clearer statement from Jesus Himself that John is Elijah?
1: No, we could not. I mean, I guess he'd say, you know, you should accept it instead of if you're willing to accept it. Uh, I guess that would be clearer. But this is basically him saying, yeah, John is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Um, and, And I think then in John, too, just to be clear, we see the violence that has been trying to shut him up. He's talking about uh, sexual ethics, about King Herod uh, taking his brother's wife, and as a result, uh, his head gets capitated, right? His cap gets detated. How do you say that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's another one of those words. Uh, you know, decapitated. I don't know of anybody that ever ever uses the word capitated. <laughs> capitated, right. Yes. So um, this is, there's a lot of funny little quirks in the English language that way. Uh, I've, I've never understood this debate that, well, you know, is John really the fulfillment of these prophecies? Well, of course he is. Jesus says so. And uh, John is the perfect object lesson of this violence and how people are trying to take the kingdom of God away or push it away by violence. They uh, they silenced John the Baptist by chopping off his head. Now, Jesus goes on, and then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think that's applicable applicable to every Part of God's word but then Jesus goes on and he tells this little story Um, to what shall I compare this generation now he's specific there this generation and uh, quite frankly it applies to every generation then he tells this story it is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates we played the flute for you and you did not dance We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Jesus, in telling this story, is basically saying, critics look at other people, and here specifically, in the church, and they say, dance when we want you to dance, mourn when we want you to mourn. And this is, this is this generation, this is every generation, people outside the kingdom of God want to tell those inside the kingdom of God what to do and when to do it. Pastor, is that a, is that a fair rendering of Jesus telling this little story? I'm not talking about the commentary that's coming, but uh, this little story, is that fair?
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, The world always wants to uh, tell the church what to be, and and usually it ends up with uh, the church needs to be more like the world. Uh, So I think that that's definitely uh, at least a
0: a part of what Jesus is saying here. The the example of John the Baptist with regard to his preaching of sexual morality against the sexual immorality of King Herod. We have uh, examples of that going on today where people that have uh, no connection to the church are highly critical of the church and the church's stand based on the clear word of God with regard to marriage between one man and one woman who are married for life. Uh, the churches stand on uh, a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Uh, the churches stand on a variety of issues like this, and we see the the outrage uh, and at sometimes the sheer violence against that message and against that word of God. the um, The point that Jesus is going to make now in his commentary, to me, is the perfect analysis. The people that were basically saying, uh, dance or mourn when we tell you to dance or mourn complained about John the Baptist. And they said, he's a, he's, a um, right here. Uh, John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. He's a stoic. He's a stoic. Uh, he doesn't know the people. He's not around the people, um, and then the son of man, he's talking about himself, came eating and drinking. Jesus eats with tax collectors. And what did they do? They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What To me, what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what the criticism is, you will never satisfy these people who are outside the kingdom of God. No matter what you do, it won't be enough. Pastor, am I looking at this right? Yes,
1: And that still happens today. All the time. Give me some examples. I mean, uh, you you listed several of them. We could talk about abortion, right? Uh, where we say a life is a life, and so um, there are those who try to you know negotiate and uh, with with the world, and they come up with something in between or change their doctrine. Uh, we could talk about a million things with the uh, ELCA Church, for example, and their um, the way they cow tow to the world. The, it, the list goes on and on and on. Vicar.
3: I think uh, uh, connected to that and connected also to the idea that the world is always telling the church what to do, using this idea of abortion, people will always say, if you don't like abortion, don't get an abortion. And we go, that's not how it works. We're saying, you shall not murder. We don't ever tell murderers, for example, hey, it's okay if you murder, it's just that I personally am not going to murder this is always happening in, in, in the world. The world is telling the church how to behave without actually understanding what the church does and what Jesus is commanding us to do.
0: I'm always happy when the vicar actually makes a good point, and he just did there. Um, oh. But uh, it's like a blind chicken finding a kernel of corn now and then. It's a good uh, point
1: for the year, and now I guess we'll have to wait for the next vicar. Yeah, for the next we'll one.
0: have to wait for the change of the year. <laughs> uh, no, that is a good point, and, and one, that, one that I hear even more often. Is oh yeah, you pro-life people. You're you're all against abortion, but but you won't do anything for the baby once the baby is born. The people who promote adoptions, the pro- the people who take care of pregnant mothers uh, and uh, their bills and their clothes and their are almost completely Christians, and so this uh, this throwing out this this false dilemma or this false accusation this is how the world works we shouldn't be surprised by it it's how the world works but we do need to call it out because jesus calls it out here
1: and in that regard maybe this is a free advertisement moment um you know across the street from planned parenthood there is the lincoln pregnancy center and that's a good place to support uh as they also work against uh, abortion here in town and it's a way to care for those babies who have been born uh so every year they have their their fundraiser, their uh, meal, and uh, you can probably support them any time of the year that you'd like as well.
0: Yes, and we're a proud supporter of them here at Good Shepherd. Uh, You can also check out the uh, foster care programs because good Christian families are always needed in foster care. Uh, Adoption is uh, kind of a Crazy thing and a very expensive thing, but there are agencies that that work with parents. There, there are many, many ways. It's a it's a false uh, accusation and a false dilemma. Jesus' point here is um, when the criticism comes from the outside, don't be shocked, don't be surprised, but most of all, don't give up the truth of God's word. Just because someone criticizes it. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna look at Revelation 14, 6 to 7. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, Reformation Day.
2: You are listening to KNNA LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to proclaiming the one majoring in the minors. We're looking at reformation day as a minor festival in the church's calendar. October 31st is the obvious day because that's the anniversary date of the day that Luther posted the 95 theses on the church door, the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. The tradition in the Lutheran church is that reformation then is celebrated, um, without fail, on the Sunday on or before October 31st. Now, because of that, uh, the regular readings for that particular Sunday after Trinity, usually around 23, 24, 25, is skipped. Uh, There's also a minor festival or two that sometimes get lost in the shuffle. Uh, Simon and Jude is the closest one to that, so that one almost always gets lost, and then because of that, the next Sunday is the day that the Lutheran Church generally celebrates All Saints' Day, which is November first. So it's kind of a kind of an odd bunching of minor festivals all at the same time, and uh, Reformation is one that always gets celebrated in the Lutheran Church. We talked about that in segment number one. Uh, Whether you like that or don't like that, uh, that's kind of the way it is with regard to minor festivals. It's really achieved uh, major Sunday status, uh, practically speaking, in the church. In our uh, second segment, we looked at the alternate gospel reading, Matthew 11, 12 to 19. Just a, just a marvelous, marvelous text. And now we want to look to the first reading. There's no Old Testament reading. Um, there are some lectionaries that have Jeremiah. I believe it's Jeremiah 31 for the Old Testament reading. But the first reading is Revelation 14, 6 to 7. And this text has probably drawn the most criticism for, from people outside the Lutheran Church as to the reading of this particular text on Reformation Day. Vicar?
3: Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water.
0: There you have it, Revelation fourteen, six to seven. Pastor, why would this cause controversy from non Lutherans to have this text read, Revelation fourteen sixty six to seven, on Reformation Day? Well, the implication
1: of this particular text is that Martin Luther is this angel who's preaching this particular message, and uh, at least that's even some of the Reformers, and this is a polemic, polemical argument, uh, you know, that uh, they're making that Luther is this angel, Um, and those who are not Lutheran, of course, disagree with that and say, no, that's not right, especially those who are uh, in the Roman Catholic faith uh, would disagree uh, with this because... They don't like what Luther said. Uh, <laughs> well, to, he, to he certainly it, was no angel, right? Um, and I think that the reality is is that. I don't think that John necessarily is seeing Luther, and that's what he's seeing in this particular text. Now, what I think we can say as Lutherans is uh, the message, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of the water. Uh, Focusing us back on God, that is something that Luther did in the Reformation and that the Lutheran Church is always striving to do, is to drive people back towards Jesus Christ and the worship of the one true God. So, in that regard, yes. But is St. Is, uh, John, during the time of the, rec, uh, the uh, yep. revelation, actually seeing Martin Luther here and this is how he's putting it down? I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable going that far.
0: I mean, do you? <laughs> no, I never have. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I, n- I never have. And, uh, you know, I think when you have a person, uh, a human being, an individual who is proclaiming God's word in its truth and purity, are they following in the stead of this angel? Can you make applications that this ministry is angelic in that respect, that they are proclaiming God's word in its truth and purity, the eternal gospel? Is Does Luther fit that bill? Well, of course he does. As well as every faithful pastor who ever has lived who is living now, and whoever will live in the future. And I think that is to keep away from, as you mentioned earlier, that, that Luther hero worship. I think we need to be very, very careful. Uh, I think it's the uh, not the identity of the angel that is important here. Right, it's the words that come out of the angel's mouth.
1: Especially, just a quick interrupt. There's two more angels that speak right after this, and so you have to put it into context. It's, it's always dangerous to take one angel out and say this is Luther, and then ignore the other two that come after so, it.
0: So you're saying Luther's part of the Holy Trinity? Well, I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you. I mean, if you want to be silly, you could go down that path, and we certainly are not, Vicar, uh, It says the angel has an eternal gospel to proclaim what what does it mean that the angel is proclaiming an eternal gospel
3: uh well i mean we know what the gospel is and we also know that it is eternal this is a the same message that has been proclaimed on the earth ever since the earth was actually created god promised uh, adam and eve that a savior would come to crush the head of the devil. Uh, he proclaimed this same promise to Noah, to Moses, to uh, Jacob, to Isaac, to all of these people all throughout the Bible from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament where this promise is actually fulfilled. The gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ came, uh, died a bloody death on the cross to save us from our sins, and then was raised again on the third day to proclaim victory over the grave. Um Now, here, throughout the rest of the New Testament, all of the epistles and all the letters, all the different books of the Bible, including Revelation here, are pointing back towards Jesus, his death on the cross. That is the eternal gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to die on the cross to save us from sin.
0: Very good, Vicar. The eternal gospel to proclaim... What does it mean, Pastor, that this gospel, this eternal gospel, is for proclamation?
1: Uh, It means that it needs to be spoken, Uh, and I think that that's really a key thing that we need to always remember is that we have to keep on speaking the gospel. Um, I think about this a lot of times in terms of our modern-day evangelism, right? Uh, The average American thinks that if I slap a uh, fish-shaped Bumper sticker on the back of my car that that's my part in preaching the gospel and doing evangelism, as if that's what St. Paul did, you know, with his donkey that he's riding. He put a bumper sticker on the back of that, and that the church grew. He he shaved it. He shaved it into the. There you go. (laughs) Um, No, it has to be spoken. And it has to be spoken uh, all the time to all sorts of people that you run into day in and day out, the people you meet in the grocery store, uh, the people you work with, the people you, uh, um, in your family. You have to speak and proclaim the message of Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. Uh, that's the way that the Holy Spirit works. And I don't want to say that the Holy Spirit is dependent on us, but if we're all silent too, uh, that's an issue.
0: Yeah, the Holy Spirit can make the uh, rocks and stones cry out if we fail in our task. But I think it's uh, important and significant that in the best and greatest mission, outreach, and evangelism sections of Scripture— The emphasis is on the proclamation of the word. Romans 10 does that very thing. Faith comes by hearing. And how can they hear unless one is sent? The gospel, which is eternal, the good news of salvation, forgiveness, life, and salvation in and only in Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed. Now, Vicar, who's it to be proclaimed to? Uh, Only... um, middle-class, white privilege kind of people?
3: Uh, I would say to everyone, everyone who dwells on Earth. I mean, I guess as soon as Elon Musk finally gets to Mars, he would be precluded, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Everyone, (laughs) everyone who has flesh is what I would say. Everyone who has flesh is who it should be proclaimed to, because if you have flesh, you know you have a sinful nature. Uh, So the gospel is for sinners. That's the, us.
0: The gospel is for sinners and that knows no, uh, economic or, uh, what we would normally call racial divide or segregation there. And God's word is clear. Every nation and tribe and language and people, uh, everyone who dwells on the earth, uh, people who would want to critique the Bible as some sort of white privilege document, critical race theory, nonsense, obviously haven't read the Bible because, uh, the scriptures are very, very clear. Already
1: this point. in the first couple uh, years after the uh, crucifixion, resurrection, you have uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. You have um, uh, the guy from Africa. I think his name is it Philip. Um, I can't remember what his, uh, but anyways, he's signified. As, um, his name tells us that he's he's not uh, your typical in, uh, Indo-European-speaking person.
0: Yes, so. uh, and that's in Acts 8. We have uh, uh, Simon from uh, Cyrene that carries the cross of Jesus. We have all the prophets, uh, especially Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, that emphasize the fact that the gospel is for all people, everywhere. Uh, so th- this is a non-issue. This is a non-issue. Pastor, I want to, I want to close with, uh, you know, fear God, give him glory, uh, first, first commandment kind of stuff because the hour of his judgment has come. What does that mean? The hour of his judgment has come.
1: Yeah. Uh, the hour of his judgment has come is telling us it's, it's looking, um, It's looking to the cross. It's looking to Jesus bleeding and dying. That's the judgment uh, that we're talking about. That's the hour for which all of creation has longed for and looks to even now for our hope and for peace before God. And so when we're talking about the hour of his judgment, uh, don't necessarily see that only as, um, you know, guilt for your sin. Look at it, guilt for your sin that has been placed onto Jesus, the greatest sinner that has ever lived.
0: I think sometimes we only think about the last day and judgment day, uh, or the day that I die. Uh, And as you uh, so beautifully said, the uh, the judgment day that is so often talked about in scripture and that we just skip over is the fact that god judged sin on good friday he laid the sin of the world on jesus jesus says it is finished the angels proclaimed he is risen what happened when jesus died Uh, the scriptures tell us that many dead people came out of their tombs and walked around Uh, we got a foreshadowing of judgment day at the end of the world this is judgment day right here good friday where god judges your sin and god not only judges it but it is paid for in full by the innocent suffering and death and the holy blood of Jesus. Oh, when we come back, we're going to look at Romans three nineteen to 28 Proclaim and go on. Majoring in the minors. Reformation Day. We'll be right back.
2: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at Reformation Day, October 31st on the church's calendar. Your church probably celebrates Reformation Day on or before the nearest Sunday to October 31st. That's kind of the Lutheran standard, the Lutheran tradition. We want to stay away from uh, merely a historical emphasis and certainly no Luther worship and uh, the... Heart, core, soul, and center of the Reformation really can be summed up in our epistle reading. Romans three nineteen to 28 Vicar?
3: Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law.
0: Pretty clear, Pastor. Yeah, it is. The uh, I have to tell you, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, you know, went to parochial school, church and Sunday school every Sunday kind of thing, and when it came to the whole topic of the Reformation and indulgences every year in school, we would watch the old, you know, on, on a... Uh, Real to real film. Uh, we would watch the old uh, 1950s Luther movie, and, uh, you know, it was just so drummed into my heart that uh, we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person work of Jesus Christ, not by good works, not by the works of the law. That I foolishly assumed that everybody believed this. And that Uh, There were a lot of things to do and to teach and to preach in the church, but we really don't need to preach justification because this is a done deal, and it's been a done deal ever since 1517 and the years following because of the Reformation. Um, Well,
1: since 33.
0: (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, it was a kind of a rude awakening for me to realize that uh, there are many people who don't believe this, and even worse, there are many people who pay lip service to this, but in their words and deeds, teach, preach, and live something completely contrary. Now, you did not grow up in the Lutheran Church, Pastor. And uh, you came to it uh, in your teenage years. Um, what What is your uh, different uh I perspective of this whole topic of justification?
1: Well, I'd say that um, from my perspective, uh, everyone is a self-justifier in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I don't mean just even the people um, in other church bodies. I think all of us in the the Lutheran church try to do it as well. And what I mean by that is that everybody's looking for something that they have in them that's a little bit different than everybody else that is their justification for why they are saved, their work that they've done. Maybe they're um, just a little bit kinder, or maybe they're just uh, a little bit more faithful giver, or uh, they attend uh, more Bible studies than other people. Every single person is looking for some reason to justify themselves in their own eyes, and they believe also in God's eyes. And so this reminder that we need to continually talk about that we are saved um, by grace through faith, um, or that it is uh, Jesus is the justifier, um, that needs to always be talked about, and,
0: and we always need to repent of ourselves, really, as well. We could come up with uh, hundreds of <laughs> illustrations of this self-justification that uh, would fill up our entire program, and I don't think we we need to do that. I think if people are honest with themselves, uh, you, you know the kind of thing that we're talking about, and that's why this message must be proclaimed. This is the eternal gospel, and it must be proclaimed because that old Adam, that old Eve is strong in us, and it is always trying to justify our actions, our thoughts, our words, and those words and that self-justification tends to swallow up God's gift of righteousness through the propitiation that Jesus has provided. Pastor, it says here, um, so that every mouth may be stopped. That's Romans three nineteen. What is it you know, in the, in that first reading, it says, uh, you know, every mouth should be open and the eternal gospel be proclaimed. Here, every mouth may be stopped because of these words. What's the difference and what's the distinction?
1: Well, this is the repenting of ourselves that I was just talking about, that we need to stop self-justifying, that we need to stop... Um, talking about ourselves and why we ought to be saved. And maybe a good example to think about is when you're, uh, when you're talking with your children, right, and they've done something wrong, and you say, um, you know, why did you do this? And what do they say? Well, because of this or because of that. Or even if you say what you've done is wrong, they say, well, I only did it because she made me or this happened.
0: Or, or even worse, yes, but you don't know what my brother did.
1: Right. And all these things are self-justifying. And what Paul is saying is that we need to be quiet and we need to not speak on our own behalf beyond saying what God says. And that is uh, what he's going to say here as well, um, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, And uh, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. So we can't Speak up for ourselves. The only one who can really speak on our behalf is Christ, and so if we're so busy talking about ourselves, then that kind of
0: stops the opportunity for Christ to
1: speak on our behalf.
0: So, Pastor, is is every excuse an example of self-justification? Yes. Okay, and I think that's something that we need to drive home because we try to offer explanations we try to give excuses and we're we're honest and sincere in those excuses or the answering for our sin and yet every excuse when it comes to these kind of things that we're talking about here with regard to sin every excuse is an example no matter how minor is an example of self-justification and this is... Even
1: even when you don't get the opportunity to speak it, when you're just planning it in your own head, right, which which we all do, you know. I know I'm going to get caught at this. Uh, and so when I get caught, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, even that itself
0: is a, a result, a symptom of the sin that is within us. Vicar in verse 22, It uh, it's one of those unfortunate things. Uh, verse breaks, versification breaks here. The end of verse 22, a sentence starts, for there is no distinction. I want to just focus on that phrase. For there is no distinction. Just that phrase. Is that good news or bad news?
3: Um, I would say that it is good news for most of us. It's bad news for those who believe that they have not actually sinned and have not fallen short of the glory of God. But it is good news because it means that we are all on the same playing field. We're all in the same category. And the good news of that is it's the category uh, for which Jesus died.
0: We, uh, we live in a world that loves to make distinctions, whether that's based on the uh, color of your skin your ethnic heritage, the type of language that you speak, the education that you've had the uh, privilege to receive. Your, uh, d- the new one now is uh, your medical status. All of these distinctions try to drive the world, whether we realize it or not, into a giant caste system, or cased system, however you want to pronounce that. And God will have none of that, will he, Pastor?
1: No. That's where our mouths need to be silenced, and uh, we need to know that our justification is completely independent of anything that we do.
0: There's no distinction with regard to our sin. We're all sinners. And then God does not leave us there. There's no distinction because the blood of Jesus Christ covers over all sin for all people for all time. Pastor, um, we've talked about this numerous times, but I just want to wanna bring this to uh, a, conclu- a fitting conclusion here. The fact that Jesus has given a once-for-all sacrifice for all people, for all sin, for all time. Does that mean that all people go to heaven?
1: No, it does not, because um, that free gift can still be rejected or refused uh, by our sinful nature. The self-justifying can continue on, and no opportunity for Christ to speak on our behalf can come. Uh, The the repentance uh, of our sin needs to be an everyday thing, and oftentimes our hearts are too hard to allow that to happen.
0: We receive the benefits, this free gift of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by grace through faith. And we can go so far as to say by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the person and work alone, as revealed to us in Scripture alone. To God alone be the glory. That's the message of the Reformation. That's the message of any true Lutheran church. We are saved, not by works, because if we were, all we would do is brag about it and continue to justify the other end of it. Not to justify our sin, but to justify why we're in the club and nobody else is. God says, put a rag in your mouth. Stop it up. Listen. And what do we listen to? That eternal gospel. Thanks be to God. Vicar, would you uh, pray the collect of the day for Reformation Day?
3: We pray. Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and deliver us in times of temptation. Defend us against all enemies. And grant to your church your saving peace through Jesus Christ your son our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever amen amen
0: amen for pastor moline and vicar goodroad i'm pastor poppy thanks for tuning in today proclaiming the one majoring in the minors october 31 reformation day we'll be back again soon god's richest blessings in christ